ago, when I first started, I know I did a, used to do a lot of street ministry. God called me there, and uh, I don't know why, but He did. And uh, we were doing everything inside the church. I, I shared this last week, and God starts turning because I felt there's got to be something else to this. And just coming in and going to church, there's got to be something else to it. He starts stirring this thing about going out. And uh, one day at church, our praise and worship leader, they needed to give him something else to do, so they're going to make him the evangelist. And so he decided he was going to go out door to door. And I thought, well, I'll go with him. And none of us had a clue what we were doing. Okay? We didn't know. But you got to step out in faith, right? And we walked down the street in Hazelwood, outside Loveland. And uh, anybody familiar with that area? It's kind of a rough area. And we went to the store. The store there were a lot of cars in the driveway. And I remember walking, going up there, and he knocked on the door. And this gentleman came to the door, and he's in a suit. He had no jacket on, but he had suspenders, black tie, pants. He came out, and we introduced ourselves. We were out told him we were sharing the gospel. And, well, he's a Baptist preacher. And he just got done doing his mother's funeral. And this man got down his knees and prayed for us. And anointed us. Amen. Prayed for our feet. Good news. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that man. Here he was, just got done burying his mom. And he prayed for us. And so we all, we were messed, we were messed up. Walked down the street, came to this house, knocked on the door. Little lady answered the door. We told her we were out telling people about Jesus. She said, oh, please come in. I need to hear about him. <laughs> and we went in and led her to the Lord. Amen. And uh, God is so good. God is so good. So God started doing some things with us. And, you know, this week was Pride Week. Well, I'm back there worshiping, and I've mentioned this to Karen the other day, and I got to laughing a little bit. I remember a few years ago, I told a friend of mine, I said, well, God's stirring in your heart. You want to do something, let me know, and I'll do it. I'll go with you. Whatever it is, don't do that. Because he felt like he was being called to minister to the gay community. And so he called me up, and he decided on a Saturday night to go to a gay bar and trying to be the, a man of my word I went with him went to a place down 2nd street called the dock walked in wasn't real busy it was early in the evening it was only like 8 o'clock got to the bar and sat there and gentleman with me some of you might know him if I mention his name I won't do that to him but I'm sitting there, and bartender comes over, and I said, uh, oh, we're new at this. <laughs> and I said, and I'm, and I'm with him. <laughs> and, I, and I said something else, or I remember it was, and he looked at me and said, will you please just shut up? Oh, gosh. And the guy's name was Tim. And uh, gentleman told me, he said, well, we're just, we're Christian guys. He said, I kind of figured that because I just kind of, you know, he could tell the spirit was different. And so we ended up talking to him a little bit. We ended up leaving. He said, we really don't get started around until about midnight. You guys are way too early. And so uh, he decided he wanted to go to another gay bar called the Phoenix in downtown Cincinnati. And so we drove up and he parked outside. And we're sitting in the car. And I'm praying, God, God. I don't want to do this. God, oh God, yeah. God, I don't want to do it. I'm crying. I'm having them. And he looks at me and says, let's don't do this. I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the last time he mentioned being called to that ministry. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But, in a, <laughs> you know, so be careful when you make, put your word out there. You got to be a person of your word. You know, and what cost you? And that, like, it cost me quite a bit. And uh, oh gosh, but he God is good to us. God is good. Uh, I was coming in tonight, and I was listen. I'm 
I'm whipped, okay? Yeah. Linda saw me and said, uh, I'm dragging. And she said, yo, guys. And she prayed for me. Amen. And uh, first time we went to Mardi Gras back in 1989. We stay in Assembly of God's Church. And the women slept in the sanctuary on the pews. And we slept in the classrooms, the guys did. Well, they're going to have church that Sunday morning, so we had to get up early, eat breakfast, clean everything up, move all the women's stuff out of the sanctuary, move all our stuff out of the classrooms. And so we're hustling around, doing all this stuff down. And we had a refrigerator truck parked in the back. Well, overnight, it quit working. And all the food spoiled. And... Guess who got volunteered to clean out the food truck? And so that morning I was moving this, taking this stuff out, throwing it in the dumpster, taking it out, throwing it in the dumpster. And I didn't get no breakfast. And uh, got that done. And they're loading up. We're leaving. We're going to go to a parade in Metairie. And I had time to run and get my backpack and run out, get in the van, and we're gone. Got to the parade. We walked two miles in this parade, passing out tracks. And from there, we went downtown the French Quarter. And by this time, this old boy, the young boy at the time, he'd done. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I had no energy. No energy. I remember walking on the streets that night, and it was the greatest night I had because I learned you don't depend on your strength. Yeah. It's his strength you depend upon. Amen. And when I'm weak, he is made strong in me. Yeah. And it's not about you, it's the anointing of God upon you and within you. See? The anointing's not about you. Amen. It's about Him. Amen. And what He wants to do, because when the anointing comes, it's for somebody else. That's right. So you look, who's that for? Who's that for? So there's these things, you go through the stuff, okay, Lord, I get this. So there's times when you're looking for it to be whipped and be tired. <laughs> And down there, you're always tired. There's a, uh, I want to read this to you. Bear with me. It's called Glimpses of Glory. Glimpses of Glory. 1,500 years ago, the Emperor of Rome built a tomb for his beloved sister. The small building was assigned in the shape of a cross with a vaulted ceiling covering the mosaics and swirling stars and an indigo sky. The focal point of the mosaic ceiling was a depiction of Jesus as a shepherd surrounded by a sheep in a green paradise. The mausoleum of Gallia Placatia stands in Ravenna, Italy and has been called by scholars the earliest and best preserved of all mosaic monuments and one of the most artistically perfect. But visitors who admire the mosaic in travel books and on postcards will be disappointed when they enter the mausoleum. The structure only has tiny windows. And what light does enter is usually blocked by a mass of tourists. The most artistically perfect mosaic monument, the inspiring vision of the Good Shepherd in the starry sky, is head, hidden behind a veil of darkness. Mm. But those who are patient, who endure the musty darkness and claustrophobia, will be rewarded with no advance notice. Spotlights near the ceiling are turned on, eliminating the indecent tiles of the mosaic, but only for a few seconds. One reader describes the experience that lights come on, and for a brief moment, the briefest of moments, the eye doesn't have time to take it all in. The eye casts about the dull, hot darkness overhead becomes a starry sky, a blue, dark blue cupola with huge shimmering stars that seem start, startlingly close. Ah, comes the sound from below, and then the light goes out. And again, there's darkness, darker than ever before. The bright burst of illumination repeated over and over again, divided by darkness of unpredictable length. Each time the lights come on, the visitors are given another glimpse of heaven, and their eyes capture another element previously unseen. Deer drinking from the springs, garlands and fruit and leaves. Jesus gently reaching out to the sheep who look lovingly at the good shepherd. After seeing the mosaic, one of those wrote, 
I have never seen anything so sublime in my life. It makes you want to cry. We live in a dark world. Our hearts cry for goodness, beauty, justice, and peace. They are often hidden behind the shallow cast of evil and sin. This is why preaching is so necessary. Whenever the kingdom of God is proclaimed, it's like a bright burst of light. In those brief moments, the shadows recede and we are given glimpses of a world behind the darkness. And the sublime mission that reorders perception and reality and leaves us hungry for more. That's what the preaching of the gospel does. It dries out the darkness. It sheds light. Amen. And the world we live in is full of darkness. Gross darkness, the Bible says. Covers the earth. Gross darkness. That's why we have to preach the gospel. Right. And the light comes. Amen. I was raised a good Christian, good Catholic guy. And I tell Karen, me and Karen talk about this time, talking to Catholics, I said, all you need to do is switch the flip. I call it flipping the switch because they have the head knowledge. Mm -hmm. They just got to flip the switch to get it here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I knew Jesus was Savior. I knew he died for my sins. I knew all that, everything we preach. But the light wasn't there. I had to flip the switch. And what I did, things changed. My whole life changed. For the good, not for bad. <laughs> okay? Even though I've been considered a black sheep in my family. Most of my family is still Catholic. But the elimination is like the revelation of God. It comes on. All of a sudden you have a, a revelation of the word of God. And it's like, whoa, yeah. the light comes on. Seems like sometimes there's a brief instant. Take advantage of those times. Take advantage of those times. Well, we've been in Genesis. And today we're going to my favorite book, and that's the book of Romans. Book of Romans. Romans. That's after Genesis, right? It's right before Genesis for some people. Oh my gosh. Everybody in Romans? Yesterday, uh, since Laura had surgery today, and she had to be at the hospital at 9.30, we got up early to meet her at the hospital. So we usually do our Audis run on Wednesdays, but we did it yesterday. Went shopping at Audis, got ourselves, went Audis, when Kroger's came here to unload it. I'm here unloading, and I get a phone call from Rob. Say, can you do masters for me today? My van's broken down. So we ended up having to go to Kentucky to Masters, come back here. Jeremy and Catherine and Lonnie were here. They helped unload it and put the stuff away. We got home. And I was, ugh. And my wife says to me, she said, Man, I got that one up here. Gee whiz. My wife says, I want a Chubby's Pizza. Chubby's Pizza. <laughs> Chubby's Pizza is only located in three places. Wow. South Lebanon, Morrow, and Blanchester. Wow. And they're all day trips from my house. Yeah. Oh, day trips. Day. An hour. An hour. <laughs> so while we were, Karen's mom passed in November, and we were dealing with her house. And... Uh, we met every Saturday, met her brother and sister-in-law up there, and we cleaned the house, and they would call down and get Chubby's Pizza. Best pizza in the world. <clears throat> I called them last night, and they knew me by name. I'll tell you how good they are. So my wife says, well, you go ahead and study, and I'll go get it. Give me 10 minutes, and, I'll, and call it in, and I'll pick it up. 
So I sat down and got my stuff, and I'm sitting there, and I had my mind going in 20 million directions. I had three different lessons going on. I'm going here, I'm going there. And I, she comes in with the pizza, says, how's it going? You okay? I'm like, ah! <laughs> so my bride comes over and lays hands on my head yeah. and prays for clarity. Amen. I needed it. I'm asking God, help me here. So, I'm going to talk about the guy named Saul. So you're in Romans? I'm glad. Now let's go to Philippians. <laughs> who was Saul? Saul? Who was Saul? Saul. No, who was Saul? Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Who was Saul? Let's go verse 1. Philippians verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of the, this is New King James. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might be confident in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised in the flesh. I'm, more, I'm, I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning the seal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law blameless. He was a good Light about biting Hebrew. He was blameless in the law. He kept the law. He knew the law. He was a student of the law. He kept it. Go to Acts 22. Acts 22. Verse 1, brethren and followers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. They kept more the silent. And he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are today. I persecuted the way to the death binding and delivering the prisons, both men and women, and also the high priest, bear me witness, and all the council and elders, from whom I received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring claims, even those who were in truth and be punished. Now it happened. As I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus. And there you'll be told all the things which are pointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Jew's Jew. He's a believer in the law. He's persecuting the church. Men and women. It didn't matter. He had credentials to do it. He sat on the feet of one of the greatest rabbis in Jewish history. And he was taught the law. He was taught it. He could recite it. He knew it inwards and backwards. This man did not miss church. 
He did not miss synagogue. He, he, he participated in the holidays and the celebrations. This is who he was. He says, he says, I'm a Pharisee of a Pharisee. It's his family. It's who he was until that day. Until that day. He saw the light. Anybody ever seen the light? Amen. He saw the light that day. If he knew the law, and we talked about this last week, about how the law is written on our hearts. We talked about it where the Lord said in Jeremiah, he said the, law, the heart is so hard it took the point of a diamond to inscribe it on your heart. And that's Old Testament and New Testament. He saw the light. Go to, go to Psalms 19. Way back in the Old Testament. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converts the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. When that light hit Saul and him knowing the law, because it's written on his heart, and he understands it. He's taught it. He studied it. What came to light? He had papers to murder men and women. And the Lord Jesus showed up to him. Something came real apparent to him, I do believe. I'm a murderer. I'm a murderer. He's breaking the commandment. Correct? Yep. He's breaking the commandment. His eyes are blinded. It's written on his heart. He can't escape it. He knows it's there. How many of you have a conscience? Yep. <laughs> How many you know when you do right and wrong? Yep. We used to pray for our kids that there be immediate consequences for their sins. When they would do something, we would know about it before they, we even found out about it. We would know about it. Immediate consequences. And we did. And there was. Paul knew what it was. All of a sudden, he thought he was doing right because he had papers saying it was okay. I got papers that said it's okay for me to marry this other man. Papers. It's wrong. The law is written on my heart. So you're excusing me or accusing me. It's making, you can't get by with it. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. It's always there. It's always there. How many ever told a lie? As soon as you've done that, you knew you did it, and it's bugging you. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to get it right. Right? You've done something wrong. You have to go confess it. Back to the book of Romans. You gotta, am I flipping too much for you? Think Romans and Hebrews. You camp out there all day. Romans chapter 7. I know Pastor Lonnie went through the, the book of Romans. I enjoyed that so much. And Paul's in the dilemma throughout the 7th chapter. 
back and forth, you know, that, oh. And all this stuff is going on. It comes down, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness and lost the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking the opportunity by the commandment, produced to me all manner of evil desire. And apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. What was the law given for? He gave it to Moses, right? He gave it to Moses because he wanted relationship. Sin separates. Remember the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered. Relationship was broken. What did God do? What did he do? He clothed them. Right? He took an animal and created clothes for them. Blood was shed. Blood was shed. The sacrifices. But he didn't give the law until Moses. He wanted to restore relationship. So he gave the law. We got the Ten Commandments, right? He wrote the Ten. What about the other 604? Years ago, we went to a uh, Thanksgiving dinner at some friend of ours' house, and they had an Orthodox Jew there. And uh, Jeff might be all, and Gail might be all attest, huh? He sat there and he had the meal, and he, they asked him to do the blessing over the meal. And he did. It was beautiful. Beautiful blessing. And then he proceeded to tell us how many laws we broke. In the meal. Yeah. And he went on and on and on. By the time he got done, my food was cold. It was like, how do you live this way? I mean, we had a plate of food. We had meat and vegetables mixed on the same plate. You can't do that. We didn't have wine with the meal. You got to have wine. There's all these rules, regulations that he was, that was put down. So it's all these laws. It's impossible. It's impossible. Paul says, I would not know what sin was unless the law. And what's sin? Anybody know what sin is? Missing the mark. Missing the mark. You know what that means? Who's an archer in here? Who used bows and arrows? If I put a target down the wall and I had Lonnie come down here and gave him a bow... He needs to hit that target bullseye 10 times out of 10 times. Anytime you missed it, you know what they would yell? Sin! Sin! 10 out of 10. You had to be perfect. Hit the outskirts, just hit the edge. Sin! That's what sin is, missing the mark. It's an archery term. Romans used it. Paul was a Roman. Go to James. It's going to get better, I guarantee it. on now. Which page is it on? <laughs> James. There you go. 1405. 
says, keeping the whole law, but yet if you offend in one part of it, you're guilty of breaking them all. James 2.10. Keeping the whole law, but if you break one, you're guilty of breaking them all. It's like taking a mirror and giving you a hammer and saying, just chip that one little corner. And you hit it and the whole thing shatters. You just can't do it. You break one, you break them all. That's why when you do something, your conscience bothers you. Had a girl up at Athens a couple years ago. She came in and she was God. She told me she was God. Okay. Hey, God. Hey, God. Uh, have you ever lied? Yeah. God don't lie. Have you ever stolen anything? She said, yeah. I said, what does that make you? And she said, I'm God, I guess it, but I guess it makes me a thief. And the police were standing about 10 yards from me. I said, officers, this young lady <clears throat> just told me that she's a thief. And she went, shh, shh, shh. I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? Her conscience. God knows her conscience got her. He knew she was wrong. And what did I do? I brought up the law to her. It pricked her conscience. She didn't pray, but it gave her something to think about. Yeah. It definitely gave her something to think about. You know, and I believe that that's where we go. You give people something to think about. Amen. I believe that God, he says, come, let us reason together. And the Holy Spirit, when you speak that to that person, the Holy Spirit brings the conviction to it. Yes. He's the one that convicts of sin, yes. righteousness, and judgment. It's not my job to do that. No. My wife can attest, I used to be a very good minister of guilt. Right. <laughs> and manipulation. God delivered me, thank you, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> that law is written there. You can't escape it. You can't. I was thinking... I do this occasionally, Pastor. I don't recommend it. Why is it that we want to separate the Old and New Testament? One's with grace. Because you don't want to be under the law. Mm -hmm. Let's get away with it. <clears throat> Everybody does what feels good to you. Get away with it. Do away with it. It's still written on your heart. It's still there. You still have a conscience. You still got the spirit. It's still there. But we do anything to appease it. I remember a guy telling me one, there is no absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. Guy said, well, let me go up and sit on top of that building and jump off. There's no absolute truth. Well, you got nothing to worry about. You know, gravity is an absolute truth, right? Yeah. It's not presumption. It's just go do it. Well, the guy, don't, he wouldn't do it. Well, why not? Well, I'm not stupid. Well, really? <laughs> I had a guy down in New Orleans, a young man, come out one day out of the store. And he had some crackers and a, and a thing. And he said, I don't even know why he went there. He said, man, will you take communion with me? I said, sure. He gave me a cracker and... A little bit of pop over his head, and we sit there and don't ask me why, he just did. And he went about, but he did not believe in absolute truth. Nothing was real. Nothing was real. You don't know if that table is real. You don't know if that water bottle is real. That's not real. And that night I ran into him. And he lost his car. He couldn't find his car. I looked at him, I said, well, how do you even know you had a car? 
<laughs> he got mad. He got mad at me. But I did get a response. How do you even know how silly that sounds? We're all guilty. That's where Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory. Every one of us. What's God's standard for your life? What's God's standard for us? It says in 1 Peter, it says, be holy as I'm holy. Do you have it in you to be holy? Do you have it in you to be holy? Apart from Jesus, you don't. Apart from his grace, you don't. You ain't got nothing. We have nothing offering other than our lives. Lawbreakers. Why are people going to be sent to hell? They chose it. Let's go to Gospel of John. Gospel of John. Chapter 3. And we all know the scripture. John 3.16. Right? For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the Lord of the only begotten son. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. It does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Amen. You don't believe you're condemned already. I always wondered about what about those people that have never heard the gospel? What about the person that he's never heard the name of Jesus? What do you do with them? What do you do about that? Romans 2 said they're a law unto themselves because they have the law written on their hearts and they know when they've done right and when they've done wrong. Every man knows. Amen. Every man knows. And God will judge them according to his law. Amen. I heard a story one time about this. Uh, they went into this village where there's never been nobody in there before. No preachers or anything. Missionaries. And the people kept on talking about the way. All I knew was what knew is, is the way. The way. Anybody know who what the way is? Jesus. How they knew, they couldn't figure out how they knew about the way, but they knew about the way. See, God has a way of revealing himself. Amen. The Holy Spirit has a way to reveal himself to people. He's the one that brings conviction. He's the one that brings the, the judgment. We don't have to. He's the only one that can change the heart. 
to bring us out of that darkness. I mean, I lived in darkness. Every one of us lived in darkness. Every one of us. Saul lived in darkness, yet he thought he was doing right. I was a good, I was a good guy. I never did anything terribly wrong. And when the time I felt so guilty about it, I went to confession, the priest called me a filthy pig. That really messed up my theology. What did I do to that? The man who I was taught to look up to, to as my intermediary, I go between me and God, and he calls me a filthy pig. Uh, what, what you, I didn't say my penance that day. I didn't say my ten Hail Marys and five Our Fathers. I got up and walked out. I was offended. I wasn't raised that way. It's man's religion. That's all it was. It's man's religion. Romans. Back to Romans. We're just going to flip the flop. Getting close. We're getting close. Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. Got it? 319. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. No excuses. No excuses. When you stand before God, you have no excuse. A few years ago, my, uh, my son had to go to court, and uh, they arrested him. They took him to jail. He was there for three days. And I went down one day to pick him up. And I'm sitting in there waiting for him to come out. And a young lady sitting next to me waiting for her friend to come out. And I'm sitting there. And uh, I saw her in the courtroom because we had to go to court first. And uh, they released him. And we're sitting there. I saw her sitting there. And I got talking to her. I said, man, were you as nervous as I was in the courtroom? She said, yeah, my, my hands were all palmy. I mean, they just got sweaty. I said, no, mine did too. I said, man, I said, just me. That's how you feel sitting in a man sitting up there. How are you going to feel when you stand in that judge's be standing before the judge of judges? How are you going to feel then? And she looked at me and she, <laughs> How are you going to do that? Because the judge of judges. Amen. I mean, if you do that before a man, how are you going to do it before God? Yep. It gave her something to think about. Give them something to think about. When you're witnessing and talking to people, give them something to think about. Something that's going to kick them. Get <laughs> it going into the heart. There's no excuses. You'll be having no excuses before God. None of us will. Now, Believe it or not, we're going to Hebrews. I know Jeremy likes flipping through pages. What chapter? Chapter 9, 916. <clears throat> Verse 16. Verse 16. 916. For where there is a testament, 
there must also be necessarily be a death of a tester. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the tester lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses spoke, spoke every precept of all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled the blood both in the tabernacle and all the vessels and the ministry. And according to the law, almost all the things purify the blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's amazing to me all the animals that were sacrificed to cover the blood of the people. And yet not one drop was able to wash it away. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But there has to be shedding of blood. First Peter. First Pete. Chapter Hebrews. Verse 17. <clears throat> 17. Chapter 1. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish or without spot. He indeed was a foredained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You are not purchased with silver and gold. You've been purchased by the blood. The precious blood of the lamb. It says he foredained him from the foundations. Only got three more scriptures. <laughs> Back to my favorite book of Romans. <laughs> Flip flop. Romans, go to Romans. Romans 5, chapter 6. For when we were with, with still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. What wrath? The wrath is going to be poured out upon those who don't know him. We've been saved from it. You know, it's impossible to keep the law. Totally impossible. Paul said it was a, it was a, it was a schoolmaster. The law was a schoolmaster that drove me to Christ. That's what the law is. It's a schoolmaster. It tells you how imperfect you really are and that you cannot live the, according to the law. The only one that gets you there is Jesus. Yep. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hebrews 10. Back to Hebrews. Hmm. 
You know, in Romans, uh, don't turn about Romans 7, he goes through the dilemma, the things I don't want to do, the things I get, all this stuff he goes through. And he comes down and says this in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know what the body of death is? Sin. The Romans had this wonderful practice that they would do. If you were convicted of murder sometimes, they would take the body of the man that you murdered and they would tie it to your back. And you were to carry that body of death with you. And that disease and everything from that body would seep into your pores and eventually you would die. That's the body of death. I'm carrying around this dead old man. And who's going to deliver me from this dead old man? Me. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. That's the body of death. That old man we carry around. So his old thoughts we carry around. It's the shame and it's the guilt we carry around. So that old man, he's dead. He's dead. You're alive unto Christ. Everybody doing okay? <laughs> Chapter 10, Hebrews. <coughs> Verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God for the time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering is perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant thou will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I'll write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more forever. Amen. Now where there is remission of sins, there is no longer an offering of sin. Once and for all. It's done. When he on the cross said it's finished. Yes. The sin problem's finished. Right. It's done. Now, a lot of us we choose to live there. We choose to live in our past. But you've been delivered from the past. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm a new creation. Amen. There's not one like me. Never before. <laughs> I'm a new guy. Catherine was talking Sunday. Bless you, girl. <laughs> After the meeting Sunday, she says, you know, before, before I, I would never have done what I did, getting up there and, and about the fire, talking, calling down the fire of God. She said, but you know, the Holy Ghost the baptism of the Holy Ghost changes you. Something goes on. I said, I know exactly what you're talking about. You can ask my wife. There's no way I'd be up here. No way. I'm the guy that my mom and dad made me stay after school with the nurse, the nuns, to try to keep me to talk. And when I got saved, we'd always stay in the background. We would do the work. We always stay in the background because I didn't want. If there was two people in a room, that was a crowd. And if I was talking to somebody else walked up, I had nothing to say. I'd walk away. I'm serious. But one day something happened. Something happened. I mean, he took me to the streets over the Rhine in Cincinnati. I'm a country boy. I don't go downtown over the Rhine in the, in the 80s, walking the streets, talking to strangers, not having a clue what I'm doing. Holy Ghost. Me and Karen go down there. We pray in tongues all the way down there. Park the car down on, off of Vine Street. Get out of the car and the anointing would be there. 
And we'd walk the streets and talk to people, talk to strangers. I, me I remember my wife <laughs> talking to this lady in this stoop on Vine Street. And the lady gets up and walks in the back. She drops her drawers and takes a crap right there. And my wife says, keeps on talking to her. <laughs> the woman gets up because we're working in our ministry and the Salvation Army down on Central Parkway, they were showing a movie crossed the switchblade. And this woman was drunk. She was inebriated. Let's put it that way. Sounds better. And we're walking down Central Parkway and this woman's She's staggering. We're helping her. She's going to go this thing. And she gets right in this alleyway. The Salvation Army is right here. An alleyway. She gets in this alleyway. And she's about ready to fall over. And my wife looks at this woman and says, Honey, you're in the valley of decision. Right there is freedom. Mm -hmm. And the woman walked in that place. The Holy Ghost hit her, sobered her up, delivered her, and saved her. She wasn't offended by this woman doing what she knows to do. She was doing what's her business, and she, that's what she did. Amen. Holy Spirit. Yes. Holy Spirit. He comes in and does things with you that you cannot yep. logically comprehend. Mm -hmm. And then you walk out of that place, and you're thinking, my God, what did I just do? I could have got killed. But the anointing is there. Amen. It's all about Jesus. Amen. He wrote his laws upon our hearts. Amen. It's on every man's heart. Confront those laws. When you're speaking to somebody, you're not speaking here. You're speaking to this. There's that spirit in there. And you're speaking to that. I mean, I don't remember how many times I talked to a Catholic on the street. And being Catholic, I tell them the confession stuff. How many times go to confession? Oh, about six months. And it went like this. Must be Father Fry's last confession was six months ago. I told oh, 20 lies. I did this and I did this, and, they, and you, never, you couldn't remember, and so all you've done is lie to the priest. And get forgiveness, but you were lied to the priest. And the guy said, yeah, I said, well, you're a liar. I said, yeah, you're right. You're right. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? But I'll tell you one thing, confession, when you went to confession, you walked out, you felt better. Your conscience felt better. Confession of your sin makes, it's just, ah, confess your faults one to another, right? Yeah. Confess your faults. Because it, it frees you up. So, the heart of man, as we learn, is deceitfully wicked. Thoughts of evil continually. But when we come to Christ, our hearts changed. I got a blood transfusion. Well, I called out on him. I got the blood of Christ pouring through my veins. Amen. I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Amen. I'm no longer what I was. I'm now completely done what I'm going to be. And all this stuff, but here's Saul. And he changed. Even name even changed. No longer Saul, but now you're called Paul. And he goes through and he talks about him being, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. I got more to boast about than all any of you guys. I have more to boast about than any of you. Make our boast in Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for the night. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the heart of the people. Mainly, Lord, I thank you for your heart. For you are good. And you are God. You're gracious to your children. You watch over us, confirming your word of signs and wonders. Make us more like your son. Like John said, let me decrease that he may increase. 
let the anointing of your presence increase within us. God, let us realize what we've been saved from and saved into. And all the lies of the enemy are just lies. And we have a newfound faith in you. God, I bless these, Father. I bless everyone. Bless your ears and the hearing. In Jesus' name, amen.